0: Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Excited to talk about the latest in the sector and uh, a lot of good news coming out. So we had the departure of Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk about Amarin. I mentioned at the beginning of the week that I sold some shares and then bought back in and decided that I should really put together a model and forecast what we can really expect from the stock. So I'm going to talk about that and going to follow up with the Sarepta update that we heard uh, two weeks ago. So uh, what I first want to do is just talk about the macro environment. So I didn't do a video last week, but the the data was okay, actually, for some of the housing stuff that we got. Um, And this week, we actually saw decent housing as well. So housing had been on kind of a slump, and then I think with the interest rates going up, it kind of... um, released a little air out of the bubble, and things are looking okay now. Um, but we did see a pretty de- a pretty bad number for non-farm payrolls on uh, yesterday. and But unemployment was okay. So it seems like we're, we're going to continue to get sort of mixed data until we see a, a trend go on. And once the, the trend changes and it firmly changes, then it might be something to look at. But the, uh, the market yesterday opened quite low, and then... Uh, it bounced back quite a bit so uh, if we look at the xbi here i had a trend line uh, going over here it kept kept uh, bouncing off of it and then we broke through it earlier in the week and it might be used as resistance and so that we can continue to consolidate and uh, and decide on a move but there's a lot of hype over the trade deal that still uh, might come and it might not come so uh, we'll see but this week the macro environment we're getting some retail sales data on monday cpi tuesday and new home sales for january coming on thursday so kind of a a light week i guess but um other stuff that went on this week that or i guess it was two weeks ago now but spark did officially get bought by roche at 114 dollars a share and we're starting to hear now that the uh, there were many buyers interested in spark so that's kind of interesting because you would think that maybe these buyers might be looking elsewhere now uh, since Spark has already been bought. So gene therapy companies were all up on the news. And then sadly, once Scott Gottlieb announced that he was going to leave the FDA, uh, a lot of the stocks dropped on that news and gave back some of their gains. And that's because Scott's been very optimistic on gene therapy and has given a lot of guidance to the companies. So, uh, the sector, I do think, is going to be relatively volatile until a new FDA commissioner is, is selected. So other stuff, Ameren's been kind of up and down on, on hype of a buyout. We don't really know uh, yet if anything is materializing with that, but it does continue. And it also seemed this week that uh, the bmy cell gene merger might be in jeopardy. And that's because the top shareholder of Bristol Myers, uh, announced that they weren't happy with the deal and they didn't like it. So BMY, uh, increased its share price in the news and Celgene dropped. And I wish I had have acted quicker. I would have liked to pick up Celgene because I do think that the merger is going to go through and that this is just, you know, it's just drama that that's going to eventually sort itself out. So I don't think, I do think that the deal is going to go through eventually, um, because the top shareholders still doesn't have enough of a stake to, to really, uh, cause an impact unless they, you know, they could really try to get it going. But I think the voting date is in the next month or two. So don't quote me on that and definitely double check. But, uh, yeah. So other news, uh, and I did mention Scott Godlieb is gone. I think he said next month. And the reason why he stated was that he wants to spend more time with his family. And I don't really see why we shouldn't take him at his word. Uh, trump and him have gotten along and he's been generally positive in terms of um, offering a lot of guidance to companies as well as um you know approving drugs he's been he hasn't been um, a force that has stopped development in the biotech sector so that's good Uh, and yeah and he's been friendly to gene therapy so depending on who gets nominated for this position it we could see some volatility before then and also you know, consider the, the politics of today and how divided both sides are. So even if Trump picks somebody who's relatively moderate, uh, you know, they're probably going to have, they're probably going to struggle to get approved by um, whoever the the body is that approves the FDA commissioner. So it could take a while, but um, yeah, hopefully it's somebody who's also supportive of, of drug development and, uh, and it'll help the sector. But until we get a name, I think it's going to be uh, we're going to see some volatility around here. So, besides Scott leaving, we heard that the Gilead VP of Oncology is leaving, and it coincided with the start of the new Gilead CEO. So, you know, we could start to see some interesting things come out of Gilead. Maybe some M&A going on. It's hard to predict, but with a new CEO, I think people who don't share his vision for the company uh, might not want to stick around. So, we're we're seeing this kind of. Uh, shuffling of the, the C-suites, or, you know, VP, whatever, the executives, and uh, and it could be interesting. So we'll see if they do decide to, to buy a company, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are hopeful that it's a Nash company, and it could be, but we'll see. It also, uh, it looked like the COO of DBVT is leaving, so this company, you know, it's been, has struggled to get a an allergy product uh, approved by the FDA, so I think just there's some frustrations going on in uh, in that company, and again, you know, it seems like the the company, when people are leaving and things like that, it could really just be like burn the whole thing down and then rebuild, and uh, if they do get people who are willing to take the reins and and push forward, that there could be a lot of hidden value there, so again, I'm not taking a position, and I did add to my Amian position this week, um, but, you know, just... Uh, it's interesting to see the uh, the changes in executives for for different companies, and you know, seeing from this point like how things are going to change for them moving forward. So, anyway, let's talk about uh, Amarin. So, I'm hesitant to talk about Amarin or show any uh, models or anything like that because it's a very, let's say, retail driven stock. There's a lot of cultish following for Amarin, much like Sangamo. And no matter what my opinion is, people are going to hate it. So nothing that you hear here is uh, is to be taken as investment advice. And, you know, if you have a constructive criticism, I'm happy to hear it. But, you know, it's uh, this is just opinion. So take it as such. So what I wanted to do is look at Amarin and compare it to different cardiovascular drugs, um, especially ones that are involved in uh, preventing cardiovascular events. So statin-lowering drugs, or sorry, cholesterol-lowering drugs like statins or ezetimibe uh, are what I looked at and combinations thereof. So I think it was like eight drugs that I looked at over the past uh, 30 years, and um, some of them more successful than others. And, uh, you know, it's it's contextual based on how many drugs are there before and who's got the most hype and which papers have come out. So it's kind of interesting to see how you can get the Lipitor, which can, which has a combined total revenue of like 144 billion, and then uh, compare that to like the Novartis drug Luzcal that, that didn't do very well at all. So there's a, there's a huge variability in the amount of revenue these drugs bring in. So what I tried to do is smooth out the data to figure out kind of a best case scenario for Ameren and a worst case scenario and like an average. So... Uh, right now, the number of people that have over one hundred and fifty milligram per deciliter triglycerides in the U.S. is fifty to seventy million people. So that's kind of like the upper limit of prescriptions that we can expect for Vasipa. Uh, the and then, um, based on that, I kind of did a uh, sequential increase in revenue year over year, and went from there. So the the average increase in sales after year one, um, was from 28% to 604% with, uh, yes, the average is 251% with, uh, a standard deviation of 191. So it's not super useful and the standard deviation is so crazy. Um, if I, I tried to omit some outliers because, you know, these companies weren't, um, they often had like partnerships that switched revenue from the the old company to the new company. And, other companies had, uh, they didn't just announce the revenue from the single drug, they did like cardiovascular um, sector of drugs in their reporting. So that made it a little bit tough to get just clear-cut numbers often. So I omitted, when I omitted three of them, uh, Pravacol, Zetsia, and Vitorin from uh, the previous uh, reportings. they were reported as a sharing drug. And then as a Merck drug, so I omitted one of those and I still got this crazy variability with like an average of 354% increase in the first year with this huge range. So um, what I ended up doing is the second point here, uh, which is I averaged out year one and year two increases of revenue and, uh, and I used standard error of the mean instead of standard deviation because it smooths it out a bit more. And, you know, this is all based on just assumptions and my own personal opinion Um, so Visipa's first year on the market will be 2020. So I took that into consideration as year one and made my middle case scenario as year one and year two increases of revenue of 144%. And then the, uh, aggressive or the, um, the generous outlook is 200% just as like 144 plus. 43 with a little extra room and that actually did get the prescription number close to 50 million so i think that it's a decent surrogate for um, the the generous outlook for amarin and then the uh, disappointing revenue is around 100 percent increase in revenue from year one and year two and uh, we'll look at that so the other thing i took into consideration is loss of exclusivity so uh, the average loss of exclusivity decreases in revenue from these companies was 42% in the first year. The second year was a loss of like 46%. So it's uh, it's pretty dramatic how quickly the revenue goes away once these drugs get off patent. So, And we know that Ameren has a deal with Teva that in 2029, they'll be able to produce a generic version of Vaseva. So I took that into consideration as well. And uh, to, to further kind of make me feel better about my model, I looked at the peak revenue, so the, the peak yearly revenue for Azitamib, which is Zetia, uh, was 2.6 billion, and the uh, Lipitor peak revenue was 12.8 billion, which brings out an average of like 5.47 billion if you average all the drugs that I looked at. So um, I kind of, ma- I wanted to make sure that my revenue projections were in the ballpark of this um, without being too generous or too negative. And I think before I show it, it's uh, my revenue is a little bit um, pessimistic, I think just given that the the nature of the drug is pretty substantial. I do think that the triglyceride lowering effect um, and the trial, the data that they have and the excitement around it is going to drive a lot of revenue. Um, but you know there is a maximum number of people that can take this drug and based on, the ability of Ameren to get their sales force out there, I think there is a lot of uncertainty on how many prescriptions are actually gonna get written. And I've been seeing on Twitter a lot of excitement around the prescriptions, but you know, there is a number out there that they're gonna get. And we have to keep in mind that they have to be able to deliver on this. So, so here's what I have. So the disappointing revenue increase of 100% for year one, year two, um, and only reaching a peak prescription of 21 million and peak revenue of 2.7 billion, you know, eight bucks a share. And I don't think this is gonna happen at all, but I'm just being honest with you, this is my negative outlook, uh, is this. Now, using like the average revenue increase that I showed uh, yields a price of 26.2 with a net present value of 7.8 billion. Um, And that's with a peak revenue of 4 billion and prescriptions of 31 billion, 31 million, sorry. And then with the generous uh, rate, I get a price of 54.6. So uh, there's a lot of other things that you have to keep in mind when, when you're coming up with a model. So And I used the numbers that they're forecasting for 2019. And for me, that's year zero. So year one is 2020 when they get that full approval and when they start to see those big increases in, in prescriptions. So they told us that they're expecting $350 million in revenue this year. With an increase in operating expenses of fifty million, and then I, uh, you know, I came up with uh, based on the averages of other cardiovascular drugs this this scenario. So um, I can put this online or I can send this to people if you're interested in in looking at it more. But uh, basically, you know, you have to you have to put in a lot of assumptions um, into these models and kind of navigate how the market is feeling about it so i'm going to keep an eye out on prescription numbers and uh, see whether or not they're able to hit this 350 million this year but really it's next year and the year after that that are going to be able to dictate the excitement around the drug and whether or not they're able to to deliver on those scripts and there's a lot of range in the success of other cardiovascular drugs so some of them kind of had a slow start and then just held their held their own as like king um, and others had this, like, explosion at the beginning of scripts and then they maintained that. So they didn't have too much growth going forward. But because so many people jumped on it, uh, they were able to get revenue for, for years to come. So, and, uh, you know, also, Tiva might not be the only one who's going to come on the market and uh, and sell a generic. So whether or not 42% decrease in revenue at that time is is realistic, it's kind of hard to know right now. So, but this is... Uh, this is the model I'm going on, so I'm going to continue to buy probably whenever we get some dips around twenty or below twenty, and, uh, and add to my position. And uh, you know I do think that there's going to be volatility in the stock moving forward, given that it is such a retail-driven stock. But I do see, you know, between twenty-six and fifty-four as as more appropriate for them. Um, and also, you know, it's hard to know if they are going to get bought out. You know, Amarin is kind of cash-strapped. Uh, compared to like a big company like Pfizer, who was able to really get a, a sales force out there to sell Lipitor. So if they do um, get bought out, you know, it's possible that Visipa will be able to to reach more people because they'll be able to dedicate so many more resources towards selling it. So um, yeah, but that's kind of what I'm going on. And yeah, I'll talk about there's uh there's an event, um, American American College of Cardiology event on the 18th of March, where they're going to present more data. So that might move the stock. It might be a good chance to buy. Um, Yeah. All right. So the Sarepta data, they presented their Q4 results as well as their limb girdle data at the end of February. And I was generally happy with the data um, and I'll show you why. So they showed three different patients with their uh, gene therapy um, these are their CK levels at baseline. Uh, they're, they're kids with this disease. And what they showed was an immunohistological immuno, um, section that's stained with the beta-sarcoglycan, which they're trying to express. So I'm not a huge fan of uh, IHC in terms of you know being confirmatory because despite showing this intensity... There's so many different ways that you can manipulate this data to get a pretty image based on exposure, concentration of antibodies, or things like that. So, you know, it's nice to see this, but I, I wouldn't only want to see this and be satisfied with the data. And they show a nice normal control, but honestly, it would really be nice to know, like, were, were all of these sections on the same slide when they did the staining? And, uh... You know what what concentrations of antibodies and what was the exposure set at and things like that would really make me feel better about this data but they are able to show this this nice um, fluorescence image here so yeah they quantified it using mean intensity which you know is fine Um, so they also did western blot on these tissue sections or on the tissue biopsies that they took and uh, it's nice to see this. It's a it's a little more objective Western blot because you really just see this band, and you can measure the intensity of that band. But why I don't know why they didn't show the Western blot. I would have liked to see, you know, that tangible evidence of a of a band being there that's uh, stained with their beta circoglycan glycan antibody, uh, like they did here. And there's no like good reason uh, why. Maybe they said on the call. I didn't listen to the call, but I would have liked to see that here. Um, but, you know, those two pieces of data combined with this data makes me feel better about it all. So the, the CK levels dropped quite a bit, um, which shows, like, there's functionality of the protein in these cells. Uh, so that's, that's quite nice to see. And uh, so overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the data. I think all patients had to go on uh, steroids, which is not ideal. And uh, sometimes that can interfere with the gene, with the therapy, the effectiveness of it. But it seems like um, they were able to get low CK values. So so that's good news. So the stock uh, rose on the news. And uh, then Sarepta uh, did a, another public offering. So they offered more stock and that depressed it. And I think it's sitting around 130 right now. So I uh, bought more and, you know, I'm going to hold on to it for a while. I thought about selling at... Uh, at the, the price after the data was released, but felt like it had more room to run. So, you know, I'm gonna hold on to it, and I do think the company has a bright future ahead of them, so I don't uh, I don't mind holding on to it. Okay, so things I'm gonna look into this week. Uh, so this date is not, that's not this week. It's in two Mondays from now, so look out for that and see if there's any interesting data that comes out. Um, a couple ideas I have of things I'm gonna look into. Um, curious about this company CRISPR and whether or not they're overvalued Um, they're they're trying to get their uh, CRISPR gene edited cells into patients of for diseases that already um, are being looked into by a lot of other companies so um, I think it's like beta thalassemia is the one where they've actually treated a patient and the news of them treating that patient really sent the stock higher and, you know, we know that Sangamo and Bluebird and Spark, they're they're all looking into patients with hematological disorders. And, you know, it seems like at a certain point, if the stock continues to rise, they might be overvalued, given that the, the CRISPR methodology is just a means. It's not the actual end result. You don't want like, you know, CRISPR isn't the end. It's a means to get that end result, which is an improvement in their their patient outcomes. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on that, and I kind of want to do a deeper dive into CRISPR itself. Uh, Another company, Allergan, I've mentioned them a few times, but this week they showed failure of a depression drug, which uh, sent the stock decreasing, and then after we saw a shareholder letter from one of their top shareholders complaining about the mismanagement of the company, the stock increased. So we're expecting NASH results from Senecriviac and you know, I, I do want to look into Sinekriviak and see whether or not it has a good or not chance of being approved. And I think, given that Allergan has seen has had such, I guess I want to say negativity surrounding them, I wonder if there's an opportunity there to uh, to play. So, I might look into that this week. And then finally, uh, Trevina. Trevina, I think that's the name. I did a video on them about their olisuridine drug, which is a painkiller. And they, uh, they got a CRL from the FDA based on, you know, I think they were, the FDA was a little bit harsh on them, harsher than they should have been. And they actually said that the FDA received, um, or they got this like type A meeting minutes and the FDA said that they would take another look at the drug if they were able to provide more safety data. So, you know, the company's valued, I think, at $100 million, $130 million right now. And uh, it could be an opportunity to buy if you think that they'll be able to provide that safety data. And I don't think it's a huge trial that they would need. So I'm uh, curious to see whether it's it's worth playing. So I might look into that this week as well. Okay, so the portfolio overall, uh, we had a down week this week because the whole sector kind of dropped on Gottlieb's resignation. Um, and the market itself kind of, the S&P 500, this is the first, actually, yeah, it is. It's the first red red week this year, so um XBI fell even more, I think, because of the GodLieb news, but also the Nash drugs continue to get hammered. So I think my portfolio went down more because Viking, which I have a decent position in, went down a lot. And, you know, I, I wish I had an answer to, to why that is, but I'm willing to weather the storm until they're able to, you know, be taken seriously in the Nash market. Um Yeah, so other than that, you know, holding strong. Uh, I did put more money into Amarin after I sold it uh, almost 23, and I put more money into Sarepta as well as Amune. Um, so, Amune should have some data coming out. I think it's the end of this quarter, or at least the first half of this year. Um, yeah. So, uh, volatility wise, uh, there was a bit of a sell off on Friday. So, the expected move this week is a little bit higher. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up, but thank you guys so much for watching and uh, listening, and we'll see you next time.